So the kids don't have it all. Excuse me for sitting because my back is not the best um, this week. Um, I'm meant to be speaking on a hero of the Bible this morning. That's the series that we've been doing. But um, And I, I went through a number of different guys. I thought David. There's far too much to speak on about David. I mean, <laughs> you'd have to just pick one point in David. Um, I went through Elijah, um, Elisha. Um, Elisha was an interesting story. Um, but I was reading Elisha, actually, interestingly enough, at uh, last week when the, on Monday, uh, sorry, yeah, Monday night when the girls were, um, were training for netball and one of the guys came and sat down beside me and he said, good book? And I said, yes, yeah, the best I've read. <laughs> and, of course, the obvious question is, so, so what is it? I said, it's the Bible. End of conversation. <laughs> About 60 seconds later, he said, so uh, what denomination is your church? And I said, oh, we're, we're kind of tenuously part of the, the Baptist Union. End of conversation. <laughs> that was about the extent of his knowledge or his interest, I think. But, um, but I went through all those different prophets and I thought, yeah, okay, well, I still was undecided and I thought, oh, maybe I'll go with Jonathan because Jonathan's kind of this, this left-aside person um, in the Bible. And I kind of went to bed on Monday night thinking that's, that's who I'm going to speak on. I'm going to speak on Jonathan. And then Monday night I had a dream. And all that went out the window. And uh, <clears throat> I woke up the next morning. So I want to tell you a little bit about my dream. So we'll call this part one the dream. And um, I, was, uh, I was at the Yarrawonga football ground. Now, I'm often at the Yarrawonga football ground, okay? So that's where I, that's where I grew up. I played football. footy boots or something like that, you know, one of those common kind of dreams. But this one wasn't one like that. It was dark, the floodlights were on, and there were, there were hundreds, thousands of people um, on the oval and in the, in the pavilion, and uh, I was kind of wandering through the crowd, and people were saying, g'day, and oh, you remember me, and all this sort of stuff. And I, I gradually became to realise that I was the guest of honour at this gathering, and I didn't know what it was for. And uh, people were saying, you know, you know, I remember me, you're the one, who, you're, you, you, you told me about this and I came to the Lord and I'm like, I don't remember who you are, I don't know you, I've never met you. Um, other people I did, re- I did recall and there was a whole lot of other people and throughout this whole conversation with people in the crowd I came to realise that there were people that I had impacted or said something to, a small thing, a big thing or whatever or they'd been part of an alpha course that I was involved in and they had gone away and led hundreds of people to Christ themselves and all these people were there. There were other people that I didn't know at all. I'd never met them, and I got the sense that these were people that I'm yet to meet. That God is saying, these are people that are going to be in heaven because of what you're going to do in the future. And from that dream, I mean, I don't know if you're like me, but from that dream, you would think you would wake up elated. You would think you would wake up in the morning and go, yes, God. You've done some things through me, some small things, but you're going to do even greater things through me in the future. But I didn't feel like that at all. I felt really flat. It, it kind of wasn't that well done, good and faithful servant that you want to you want to feel. I, I I felt this feeling con- conviction, and it it continued throughout the week. Actually, I was really quite flat this week. And Diana said, "What's wrong with you this week?" I mean, she often says that, but this <laughs> this week this week she really meant it, and she, <laughs> in a different kind of way. She said, what is wrong with you this week? And I, uh, and I really couldn't put my finger on it, but I was feeling flat from, from this message, if you like. And, 
And I got the sense that God wanted me to share it with you because I think it's a word for, not just for me, it's definitely a word for me, but it's definitely a word for the church too, I think. And uh, so three things that I had this, uh, this sense of during this week. And the first thing, I guess, was that I had the sense that I was wasting time. Now, not that I'm not doing anything. You know, I always consider that I'm doing good things, doing lots of good things. But am I doing God things? That was, the, that was the, the question that kept coming up in my mind because I know as human beings we like to add to the simple gospel message. And so to do a God thing is, is, you know, is great. But to do a good thing, you know, if we just add another O, make it a good thing, that's better. We like to kind of add to the simple message. Just doing God things is enough. I mean, religion really is what we have added to the simple message of the gospel. All, all the rules, the regulations, how we sit, we've got to sit in rows, we've got to do this. How confronting was it to sit in a circle? <laughs> I mean, I wasn't here, but I've heard how confronting it was because my girl said, oh, it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> but it's just something different. But when we start to stretch the boundaries of religion, we start to go, oh, you know, I'm not quite sure about this. And realistically, it's pretty simple. So that was the first sense I had that I was, I, was, I was kind of wasting time. The second sense was that I was living on past glories. Remember that Bruce Springsteen song, Glory Days? Yeah, a few people old enough to remember that one. Yeah. I, I got the feeling, you know, that I was, I was living on what I had done in the past. That, you know, when, when people say to me, oh, what do you, you're in a church, what ministry are you involved? What do you, what do, you do? I said, oh. I ran Alpha for 11 years. Yeah, I ran, that's past tense. I ran Alpha for 11 years. I was in youth ministry when I first came to the Lord. At our last church, I was an elder. I gave to the building fund. I, 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 I. So what? So what? That's what I did in the past. What am I, what am I doing now? So I had this sense that I was living in a past tense, that when, I, when God, people asked me about what I was doing for God, I was telling them what I had done. And the last sense that I had was I was waiting on future opportunities. Now, when the house is paid off, I'll do this. When the children finally move out, we'll be able to do this. <laughs> when Stacy gets her license, I will have time to do this. You know, I have three nights of netball training a week. I'll only have to go once. Um, you know, when work is not quite so busy, I'll be able to. I mean, so what? Their plans, it, it, it's the future. Those things might happen, they might not. But what am I doing now? In the past, future, I mean, it all means absolutely nothing when you think about what you're doing now. Let's just put up the next thing please Brad I decided to see what the Bible said about living in the future it says now listen you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city we'll spend a year there we're going to carry on business and we're going to make money you you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow what is your life you're just a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes instead you ought to say If it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Whoa, that's heavy. 
If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. I found that really confronting. If you know the good you ought to do, if you miss an opportunity where you know you should have acted, it's kind of what the church calls the sins of omission. The things that we should have done that we didn't. The things that we should have said that we held back on. The need that we saw that we didn't meet. That was confronting. The next one was just plain in your face. Thanks, Brad. This is Proverbs, which is always pretty harsh. Don't brashly announce what you're going to do tomorrow. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. Don't call attention to yourself. Let others do that for you. It's saying that if we talk about what we're going to do in the future, that's boasting. Put your money (laughs) where your mouth is and actually do it. You don't need to tell people you're going to do it. Just do it. What matters is what we do now, not yesterday, not tomorrow, now. Now, living on yesterday's successes is just another way of really saying, you know, I'm resting on my laurels. I've done enough. I've done my bit. Someone else needs to step up now. You know, look, see how good I was in the past. See all the things I achieved. See how successful I was yesterday. And talking about the things I'm going to do tomorrow is really just a bit of a smokescreen for the things I'm not doing now. Talking about myself here, sorry. I'm not trying to make you guys feel convicted or anything. I'm just talking about me. (laughs) It's a smokescreen of what, you know, putting off to tomorrow. My dad used to say, never put off till tomorrow what you can do today. Yeah, he said a lot of things, but that's one of the things he said. You know, tomorrow I'm going to start a diet. How many times have you said that or heard that? We're going on a world holiday next year. This year, Christmas, we're going away. I'm going to give up the smokes next week or the drugs or the gambling or the lying or the deceit or whatever it is that's holding you back now. Tomorrow, I'm going to do that. Give it up now. See, God is the God of today. Yes, he's the God also of yesterday and tomorrow, but his name is I Am, Emmanuel, with us, here with us now. This is the moment we encounter God in the present. You know, as I was staring up at the ceiling at a dentist uh, surgery, a dental surgery one time, um, I read the following verse. They kind of, I guess they thought it might make you feel better that when you're lying back with the the special glasses so the, the drill stuff doesn't fly in your face and you're looking up at the ceiling and they had this lovely sort of Christian poster posted on the ceiling and it said this. That's it. I was regretting the past and fearing the future and suddenly my Lord was speaking. My name is I Am. He paused, I waited, he continued. When you live in the past with its mistakes and regrets, it is hard. I am not there. My name is not I was. When you live in the future with its problems and its fears, it's hard. I'm not there. My name is not I will be. But when you live in this moment, it's not hard. I am here. My name is I am. Now, if they thought that was going to comfort me while the dentist extracted two wisdom teeth out of my mouth and 400 bucks out of my wallet, then I'm afraid they were sadly mistaken. But it's a lovely sentiment, isn't it? 
It's a lovely sentiment, and it tells us to live in the present, but it's not truth. That is not truth. God is in the past, the present, and the future. He created time. You know, he's not subject to it. We're subject to it. He's not. Yesterday, sorry, in the future, he knows what you're going to do because he's there. And in the past, he knows what you've done because he's there also. He's there now. He's outside of the kind of time constraints that we have. He can, he can encounter us anytime, anywhere. Every time is now for God. But we are different. We're created to live in this kind of linear timeline, one way. You know, we, we live in this time-space continuum when we move in, in one direction only. We move forward. You got the next slide, Brad? That's just to remind you that we move in one direction. And my, my kids are cringing like that is a dad joke on a screen. But it's true. We can't move sideways, backwards, forwards in time. We live now and we move in one direction. And the only place we encounter God is right now. And that's why Jesus says, now is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Oh. <laughs> Give us. T- yeah. <laughs> They're too young, Stace. Yeah. So I started to think this week about you know, whether I had been putting off till tomorrow what I was going to do today, avoiding the present. And, uh, I mean, what's, what's stopping me from doing all the things God wants me to do now? Taking into account God's time, of course. What's stopping you for doing all the things that you know God wants you to do? That leads me to part two, WD-40, every man's best friend. Yeah, yes. Yes, Trent. I arrived home this, this, uh, this Monday morning after taking Bethany to school and uh, I kind of arrive in the drive and I press a little thing and wait for the roller door to go up and while I was sitting in the driveway, I saw this little blue scrubbing... Well, I couldn't find a blue scrubbing brush, but ours is blue. Um, scrubbing brush lying just kind of near the fence. Over the other side of the fence is our rubbish bin. So it wasn't in the rubbish bin, it was just kind of lying near the fence on the driveway. And I instantly knew what that scrubbing brush meant. I, I could tell from years of experience that that scrubbing brush had at least seven different things to say to me. And so t- for you to understand what the scrubbing brush was going to say to me or what it was saying to me, because I was convicted. That, that scrubbing brush convicted me, it, it reprimanded me, it, 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 I was abashed, I was... I was all, all this sort of stuff from this one simple scrubbing brush. And to understand, I'll just back up a little bit and tell you the backstory behind that, and you'll understand where I'm coming from. Um, like most men, I'm a fan of WD-40. It's, it, it can do anything. It can do anything. And every man's garage is not complete without having a can of WD-40 in it. And uh, so, so when an email appeared in my inbox uh, this week, a couple of weeks back, I... Um, and, and it talked about all the things that WD-40 could do, I was immediately, I was like, I'm going to read this. And even though I was completely snowed under at work, I read through this rather long list of all the things that WD-40 could do. And Ross, Ross is nodding, people are nodding because we know, we like to say, yes, that's why I've got it. It justifies <laughs> its existence in my garage on the shelf. 
And so, um, so I read through this whole long list, and, and out of this list, I mean, I knew I could do lots of things, but one thing really stood out to me. WD-40 can clean shower screens. I went, oh, that is amazing. So, and not only can it clean shower screens, it will actually, it has an anti-fog agent so that the shower screen will never fog up again. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome. Because I know Deanna hates cleaning showers. I mean, when we moved into our house, it had been lived in by a, a husband and three boys. And so you can imagine the state of the shower. And it's never really been able to come back to its former glory, if you know what I mean. So it's, uh, it's an opaque screen without really meaning to be opaque. So I, I thought, you know, I, I, could, I could do something about this. And I know that her love language, because I've read the love languages book, as every good husband is supposed to do. And I know her love language is acts of service. So thought I, 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 this is going to win me some brandy points. So I, I, I wanted to show her how clean I could clean our shower in our ensuite to sparkling and she would be so amazed at my domestic skills. So, so in my lunch break, I stripped down to my jocks. Next picture. Oh, no, nah, go back, mate. Go back. Sorry. I don't know how that picture didn't get in there. Okay. Now, you just have to picture it in your mind, if you will. So, <laughs> so here I know. Here I am in this, uh, this 820 by 820 square cubicle and I am coating the walls and the glass with WD-40 and all the women are like <laughs> biting their teeth, biting their nails now going, oh my goodness, where is this going? Um, and, and I set out to, to, to prove that uh, despite breathing in fumes that were strong enough to fell a rhino, <laughs> I could effectively clean a shower screen. And so I did. I cleaned it and uh, I managed to survive the experience and I went back to work feeling slightly lightheaded. And, um, and knowing that I had done a job and Jenna was going to be so pleased when she got home. And I, you know, I, had, I could just see like the pin, you know, pinball machine, ching, 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 all these points I was racking up because of what I had done. And, uh, and so as I went on through the afternoon, I kind of had this nagging feeling that, that I'd missed something. Something wasn't quite right. And, uh, and so I, um, I thought, oh, she's, she's going to be able to smell what I've used. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. And so, armed with that thought, I thought I'd do a bit of investigation about this email that I'd received. So, I went to the Snopes website, which talk, which lists all the scam emails that you receive, which you should go to first before you act on some of these things. And uh, to my horror, I discovered that the email was there. Now, look, I am justified because 99% of the things on the list were actual things that WD-40 can do. But unfortunately, clean, cleaning a shower screen was not one of them. So, so uh, yeah, I was, um, yeah, I was a bit uh, set back by that. And uh, it, it actually said that, in fact, WD-40 is an oil-based uh, thing. So, so actually what it will do is it will coat your screen and it won't come off and uh, the, the dust will actually stick to it and your screen will never be able to be seen through again in an effective way. So I thought, this is not good. So afternoon, we don't have a, normally have an afternoon tea break, but I created that one that, that day. And back in my jocks, I was, and uh, back in the shower, and I, I employed every other cleaning product I could find to try and remove the WD-40 from the inside of the shower screen. So, um, of course, to no avail. I, I got rid of most of it, but the smell, it was still, that, like, I'm, I'm just convincing myself, I can't really smell it. But I knew, you know, Deanna, knowing that she has a nose that can smell the fragrance of using five houses down, she's going to be able to smell it. So, so, <laughs> so anyway, 
Unfortunately, I did leave the scrubbing brush in the shower too, so that was probably my main mistake. But um, <laughs> so, so when I saw that blue scrubbing brush on the driveway <laughs> that Monday morning, um, I knew the seven things that Diana was saying to me. And let me just, I'll tell you what they were. One, the first thing she said to me was, I've cleaned the shower screens this morning. That was the first thing. The second thing was, you are an absolute idiot for using <laughs> WD-40 for cleaning the shower screens. The third thing was, I've not yet forgotten that you use WD-40 to clean the shower screens. And the fourth thing was, you are to pick up the brush and put it in the bin to acknowledge your complete incompetence in the area <laughs> of domestic cleaning. The fifth thing was, despite being the brush, the brush being only three feet from the bin, nevertheless, I'm going to let you pick it up and put it into, bin, into the bin so that this part, this episode is done with. The sixth thing was, you are now forgiven. And you can relax in the knowledge that the spray that you thought you would receive two weeks ago has now been delivered. And the seventh thing was, don't do it again. <laughs> now, I've been married to Deanna for 22 years, a point to this story. I've been married to her for 22 years. And, and I can read the signs like a little blue scrubbing brush on the driveway clearly. I know exactly what it means. Now, I've been in a relationship with God for 24 years. And most of the time, I'm only vaguely aware of what he's trying to say to me. Sometimes it's clear, sometimes it's not. And I often wonder how many blue scrubbing brushes God has put on the driveway for me that I have completely missed. Or I've seen it and thought, mm, oh, I kind of know what that means, but I might leave that until tomorrow. And I just don't think I spend enough time with him. I mean, I've spent 22 years with Deanna. I can't get away from her. She's physically present with me. Not that I wanted to. But 24 years with God, and I still can't read the signs. I'm like, what is going on here? Um, you know, I think he says it clearly enough. I'm just, I'm just not seeing it. I'm just not understanding it. You can go to the next one now, Brad, which is part three, the fitness instructor. I think for a lot of us, and for me sometimes, God has been like a bit like the fitness instructor. Okay, this is, girls, I know there's a lot of eye candy today, okay, but just settle down, okay? Now, when you first meet a fitness instructor, you decide you're going to go to gym. The first thing he does is he does an assessment on you. You meet this guy and he does an assessment. So he's, he works out your flexibility, sees what you're capable of. He gets out those little caliper things, you know, and he pinches that, that bit of fat and he measures the fat percentage and he does all that stuff. And, and effectively what he does is he shows you how far short you fall of where you should be. But he sees your potential. Okay? He shows you a photo of what you could be. And he says, I can help you get there. I, if you let me train you, I will get you there because I believe in you. So you vow that you're going to get fit. And you sign up for personal one-on-one -on -one lessons, training sessions, personal training sessions with the trainer. And in fact, you go further than that. You buy a whole one-year membership at the gym because you're so convinced. And you stick at it for four weeks. And then one day he calls you and asks you why you missed a session. And you say, oh, the kids were sick. Um, 
I slept in. You know, you tell them they needed help with their homework. And you've come up with some excuse. And effectively, what you do is you give up before the habit forms. And your one-year membership lies dormant. Unused for 48 weeks of the year. So I want to ask you a question. Can you tell the difference between someone who spends 52 weeks at a gym and someone who spends four weeks at a gym? Show us the next photo, Brad. Yes, you can. You can tell the difference. And time with God is no different. You can tell the difference between somebody who spends every day with God and someone who spends every Sunday with God. You can tell the difference between someone who spends every Sunday with God and someone who spends Easter and Christmas with God. You can tell the difference. Their spiritual muscles have developed. Their strength has developed. Their spiritual stamina has developed. When they want to, when things come against them in this world, they know that they have what it takes to overcome it. Because they've spent the time with God. They've spent the time with their personal trainer. And a lot of it is not because of the training that they've done, but because of who's training them. God is training them, and they have what it takes. It's a bit like the difference between a good friend and a casual acquaintance. You know, Some of us have met God a couple of times, and for some of us it was a long time ago. Some of us might have never met him. But if he's a good friend, you talk to him every morning. You talk to him throughout the day. You rely on him when times are good and when times are bad. But for some of us, he's a casual acquaintance. I mean, we kind of like knowing he's around. We kind of like knowing that he's our friend that we can talk to if we want to. And we know that we're looking forward to being with him one day, but you know, life's far too busy to build a close relationship. Got too much going on. And that's the problem. We're too busy. Our hands are too full of little things that we haven't got actually room to put a big thing in there. And God is a big thing. He wants to be the biggest thing in our lives. And so maybe it's time for some of the little things to go. And look, I could talk for business. I could talk for another 50 minutes on business because I've been an expert at being busy. Not being able to say no, being able to say yes to everything and making yourself so busy. You know, They say if you want to get something done, ask a busy person. <laughs> that was me. Couldn't say no. But I thought I'd invite another pastor in today to, um, to share his thoughts on being busy because he says it so much better than me. And uh, it's, it's, uh, his name's Rob Bell, and he's not here in person, he's on the screen. But what he shares is, is so concise and so convicting for me that I just like, go like, yeah, um, I'm too busy. And let me tell you, this, this video that I'm about to share, we showed it in a small group that I had uh, travelled through the, the 10 weeks of Alpha with and kind of went into... Um, leading this small group with these people and uh, Deanna and I were kind of leading the group and these people were all new Christians and uh, they said after we watched this, this uh, video one night they just said, well, that's you guys. They convicted us, they pointed the finger at us and said, that's you, you're too busy. And, and they were right. And sometimes you've got to actually be able to sit and hear what God's saying to you through other people. So I hope that he does it through this. Thanks, Brad.
you know, I was a bit unsure about what to share this morning and whether it was the right thing to do. And I woke up this morning and I thought to myself, no, I think, it, I think it's a word for today. And then I, I read through my devotional, which is the word for today. And the message today said, the arch enemy of spiritual growth is busyness. I went, ah, I think I might be on the right track. Which is closely tied to something the Bible calls worldliness getting caught up with society's agendas to the neglect of walking with God. Whichever way you look at it, a key ingredient to prospering is time. Not leftover time, not throwaway time, but quality time. Time for meditation, time for communication, unhurried, uninterrupted time with God. Let's pray. Father, we are... We are so sorry that we are so busy, Lord. We are so sorry, Father, that time with you gets squeezed into that small time of the day where all our things that we needed to get accomplished have been accomplished. And now we can spend time with you, five minutes or ten minutes that it is in our 24 hours. As we're praying this morning, I wonder if some of you know what it is that God has called you to do. But you're not doing it. And you're not doing it because you're too busy. You're not doing it because other things have crowded out the one thing you've been called to. You're not doing it because I just don't have time. If that's you this morning, with every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you this morning, just stand and acknowledge that there are changes that need to be made in your life, that there needs to be more time spent with God. And I'm up here and I'm standing too, because that's me. Thank you, guys. It's good to acknowledge before God where we're at, to have some self-assessment and say, you know what, I think that's me. Father, I pray that all these people that have stood, Father, that you would just touch them right now. By your spirit that you would touch them, Father, that you would release some of the things that they're holding dear that aren't really that dear. That they would be able to then embrace, Father, you because you are waiting to embrace them. Father, would you make it clear to them the one thing that they've been called to do, the thing that they've already said yes to? And Father, would you help them to say no to the things that aren't required? Father, would you refocus them this morning? Clarify it in their mind, Lord, that they might go home today with a new priority list of things that need to be achieved and that you would be at the top of it, Lord. And Father, there may be people here this morning who have not met you at all, have no idea how much time they're spent, meant to put into to spending time with you, Lord, to get to know you. But they're here this morning, Lord, because they're inquisitive, because they know that you could be the answer to all the questions that they have. And if that's you this morning, why don't you stand also? 
Because God is here and he's ready to meet you. Father, we thank you for your message, your dream, Lord, that you gave me. We thank you, Father, that you have helped me to think through the things that need to be reprioritized in my life. Father, would you just come now by your spirit, Lord? Would you refresh us, Lord? Would you help us to step back and make some honest self-assessment of where we're at? And Father, would you walk with us? Would you train us, Lord? Would you teach us, Father, the things that you want us to know, the things that you need us to be able to do to step into the ministry that you've called us to, to step into the lifestyle that you've called us to? Father, would you now be our number one in a world where everything else is clamoring to be number one? Father, as we sing this song, would we just rededicate ourselves back to you, Lord? Would you put you at the top of our list as the thing that is most important to us in this world? Thank you, God, for your message to your church, Lord. Amen.